Welcome to another Formula One episode at You Thought. I'm Jared, joined by Lucas. We had a very exciting 70th anniversary Grand Prix, so we're going to be dissecting that. We're going to start with just our, our race takeaways. Um, Lucas, why don't you start? What are some of your race takeaways? Um, so I mentioned last week that um, the British Grand Prix uh, there, that Mercedes didn't look invincible and they really didn't look invincible this week sort of yeah. continuing in that thread because they didn't win we talked about earlier in the season how we both thought they'd win every single grand prix that was raced this whole year um and they weren't and they were both out strategized and out raced by verstappen and by red bull this weekend uh verstappen drove incredibly this weekend sometimes in spite of his team i loved like the little back and forths they had sometimes where he's like I don't want to drive like a grandma or someone yeah. like that. Or, he, or he's like, I, I'm <laughs> just going to send it. Like I thought, it, I, so I thought it was like fun racing. They out-strategized them with the tires starting on the hards, um, which sort of worked out for them too, because all the tire compounds were softer this week. So this week's hards were uh, last week's mediums at Silverstone. Mm-hmm. So by starting on the mediums, the Mercedes guys were sort of starting on the softs last week, which didn't work out for them as well so yeah it's those sort of some cracks in maybe mercedes dominance i still think hamilton's gonna win the driver's championship but for Seppa gone into second over Bottas, which i didn't think would happen <laughs> but jared yeah. you correctly <laughs> called it so i think you might hold on to that now yeah yeah it was very impressive it showed that red, red bull is a smart team you know i think that's definitely what it showed um yeah, in general, this was the first race, they mentioned this before the race, that since Pirelli became the sole manufacturer of tires, that nobody went on the softest tires available to start yeah. the race. Everybody was on... Mm-hmm. Nico Hulkenberg eventually went to the softs, but I think that he was maybe the only one that did that. Um, this was also the first time this year that the pole sitter did not win the race. So that was that's what made it exciting, is that it wasn't just follow the leader. This race... Yeah, yeah. Red Bull's a smart team. I was I was shocked that like already on lap six... The Mercedes race engineer was telling Bottas that the the left, the left rear and front, uh, or the rear left and front left are already critical. And I was like, wow, this is only lap six, and it's yeah. it's already this bad. Uh, that was no, pretty. I remember crazy. hearing that and being like, did I miss a bunch of laps in there? Like, there's <laughs> right? no way it happened that quickly. <laughs> right. The, that's the the great mystery of the race is how, even when Verstappen was on older tires, he was still going faster than the Mercedes that were on brand new tires. On the, both on hards, it makes no sense. I really don't understand why. Um, F1 analyst, one, um, I spoke with an F1 analyst, Evan Leadham, the other day. He told me that their Mercedes car generates so much more downforce than the other cars that that could be disrupting the tires and making them peel open a lot faster than the other tires. Um, it'll be interesting to watch next week too because apparently it's supposed to be really hot in Spain. So um, mm-hmm. if that favors Red Bull again, then who knows what'll happen um yeah so yeah i saw a tweet too though i thought it was pretty funny that it's like we always wondered what would end mercedes dominance and turns out it was climate change so. <laughs> yeah that's that's funny. just like it consistently being hotter uh did them in i was also really impressed this weekend by Charles leclerc yeah again just seems week after week to like outperform that car that ferrari is giving him yeah. like he had a great tire strategy too got p4 when honestly like he didn't really like in that car probably shouldn't have placed that high yeah um and on the sort of flip side of that continuing in the ferrari vein uh vettel is just falling apart like the anger between him and like ferrari yelling back and forth on the radio i mean it is he didn't get the same tire strategy as leclerc which maybe might have bothered me as well that like it seems like ferrari's leaning into like 
Yeah. Leclerc's our future. We want him to be the best, even if it's not best for the team. So yeah. But to be fair, on Ferrari's end, Vettel has like not been doing great lately. So if you're gonna strategize around one driver, it probably should be Charles Leclerc. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Vettel Vettel can be mad, but he he spun out on the in like three points. Exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> you can't be un, like un and he wasn't hit by anybody. It was just his fault. Uh, so an unforced error from him. Um, yeah, and and same on the Vettel front is he he during Q two he was on soft tires and could not make it into qualifying three. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, he just hasn't figured out the pace of the car for for one reason or another. He had. That one good race in Hungary when he, I think he qualified like P5, something like that. And other than that, yeah, he's really, really struggled. Um, speaking of someone that was struggling that I think did really well this week was Alex Albin. Um, yeah, I was going to bring him up yeah, as well. Because he, I mean, he pitted. It was another good strategy from Red Bull too. They pitted mm-hmm. on lap seven really early just to get him out of traffic basically. So that it brought mm-hmm. him all the way back to, to 20th. And eventually he made it all the way up to fifth, obviously with some pitch strategies, but then also um, genuine overtakes. And that's the thing with Alex. Like, I think you mentioned this last week when we were talking about Albon and Gasly, is that I think Red Bull thinks that the ceiling is that much higher with Alex Albon than it is with Gasly, which is why, like, they're so in his corner, at least publicly, you know, you never know. But he... Yeah, he'll like take the chances. I think where they thought, at least it came through in the in the Netflix documentary, that they thought Gasly was too conservative, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, and I think too, like you've had two really back to back impressive drives from Albin the past two weeks, going from the back of the pack mm-hmm. to into the points past week, the, this, yeah, into the points both weeks, and then P eight last week and then P five this week. Like I think he's proving himself too that like he does have that aggression that they think that Gasly lacked yeah. and. Well, it's not like quite resulting in podiums yet. Like I think these past two drives essentially have shown that he has the potential to get up there. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think again, it's it's kind of unfair to compare him with Max in some ways because I think mm-hmm. Verstappen is also outperforming his car. To even though Red Bull yeah. does have a car this mm-hmm. week for sure, he I think he outperformed the car. The car also just seemed to have some benefits that Mercedes didn't have. So I think, like, yeah, P5 is a great race for Albon, I think. So I was pretty happy yeah. with him. Agreed. And, like, Verstappen's, like, a generational talent. And yeah. Albon, I think, is, like, a great driver. But it's so hard to, like, compare yourself against, like, a generational talent when yeah. you're only great. So yeah, I think sometimes we need to weigh our expectations about that as opposed to, like, well, he's not as good as Max every week. So Right. Exactly. Um on a driver, I was kind of disappointed with though Carlos Sainz. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of the McLaren, the McLaren effort actually this this week. Um, Carlos Sainz, he had one really bad. The team had one really bad pit stop where he was stopped because of some some traffic, but then they weren't sure if he should go. A really bad pit stop there. He just didn't really have the pace. I mean, he didn't have the pace in qualifying. This is the first week, or the first race that McLaren didn't make it into Q3. Both cars didn't make it into Q3. Um, and even Lando, unfortunately, didn't have the best race either. So um, it was kind of a disappointing week for McLaren. I wonder if they're starting to like kind of if the other teams are starting to catch up to where they were at the start of the season when it looked like they were they were possibly the third best team. I think they are st- they are still fighting for that third best team, but I don't know. Um, I think the other teams have kind of caught up, and Charles Leclerc is getting the hang of the Ferrari now, so it'll be interesting yeah, I, to watch. Yeah. It's definitely a lot tighter pack, but one team that didn't do themselves any favors in getting into that pack was my midfield team, Renault. Yeah. 
who had an overall really disappointing weekend. Yeah. Um, they had a great weekend last weekend, Ricardo and P4 at the end of the British Grand Prix. And then it looked like he was going to like carry through with that momentum because uh, he qualified P5. Yeah. But he spun out. He had to take some extra stops throughout the race because of it. And he slid all the way back to P14. It wasn't a totally lost weekend on his hand or on Renault's hand because Ocon did manage to pick up points in eighth, which seems to be sort of like the most frequently occurring place for Renault this year <laughs> yeah. in every race. But yeah. the British, British Grand Prix, they've had one of their drivers finish eighth. But you're not going to catch up to the likes of McLaren or Ferrari or other people who you hope to be battling with um, in the midfield if you can only put a driver in eighth every week. So yeah. I had some optimism for them after Ricardo all the way up to P4 last weekend, but they just sort of, I think, regressed back to their meet this weekend. And yeah. I don't think that they're quite ready to challenge further up like i think they'll probably stay fifth sixth most of the year and yeah that's interesting. not really move outside of that yeah i wrote down before the race during qualifying i was like it looks like dan and ricardo's really getting a hang of this track but yeah then yeah he spun yeah you're right it wasn't the greatest weekend for them unfortunately but yeah, yeah. um yeah anything else anything else uh, oh i did want to give a shout out to nico hulkenberg of course Oh, I was yes. wishing, I was definitely wishing he got, he was going to get on the podium. He holds the record for most race starts without a podium, as I'm sure a lot of you guys know, but it would have been great to see him get, get on there. But, um, he kind of got stuck behind some traffic, his tires yeah. wouldn't last the, the rest, the rest of the race. So he had to pit that stuff. Did you see pit. all the conspiracy theories that people were like tweeting at racing point that they thought they pitted him right at the end so that Lance Stroll could finish above him. Oh, like in the standings, <laughs> like they, their official line is that just that like there were vibrations in Hulkenberg's car which is like probably true but there was some like drama immediately after the race where people were like you just want to land stroll to finish higher since he's like your full-time driver and your owner's son so Uh, I don't know how true that actually is but I thought it was funny (laughs) to see that come up yeah I would doubt that's true Uh, yeah me too (laughs) it is well to be fair yeah Hulkenberg Hulkenberg's points don't really matter that much because he's there's probably he's only two races so they do want, they probably do want Stroll up there, you know, because he's exactly. he's competing for the whole season. But yeah, yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> no, nor nor am I. I'll trash that take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're gonna transition. Um, we've just completed five of the thirteen scheduled races that we have to this point. Um, more races may be scheduled in the, in the future, but there's some intriguing battles forming up. So we want to look at which team or drivers are going to be the ones that are really battling it out for, for a spot. Um, basically we want to see when it comes down to the last race of the season, who's going to be finishing closest in the points. Where's the real battle forming up? So uh, we got a couple scenarios. Um, we're going to, we're going to discuss. Let's start with you, Lucas. Um, is Max Verstappen, is he, is he realistically, is he battling Lewis Hamilton or is he battling Valtteri Bottas right now? What do you think? So I sort of took this question in two directions, first in like the immediate short term and then second in like the long term future of the sport type look. And I think in the immediate short term now, it's Verstappen versus Bottas. I think even at this point, like I think the gap is probably too big for Verstappen to close to Lewis Hamilton, just given there are only eight races left and it would take probably something truly dramatic and catastrophic to happen to Hamilton and the Mercedes Mm -hmm. for him to catch him. But that second place spot, which even as of last week, I didn't think would be that competitive very clearly is uh, Verstappen overtook Bottas this week. And I think they'll go back and forth throughout the season, sort of jockeying for it. So in terms of an immediate rivalry, I think Verstappen Bottas is the one you're looking at, but in terms of the future of the sport, 
I think even getting into next year and the following year, it's going to be for Verstappen versus Hamilton. I think Verstappen probably next year is ready to make that jump to competing for the Drivers' Championship, especially if Mercedes keeps having these problems they've had in the past couple races. It might level the playing field a bunch. Yeah. So that's my take, but what are you thinking? Yeah, I will say, so let's just hypothetically, if mm-hmm. next week the, you know the heat is an issue and Hamilton has to retire and Verstappen mm-hmm. wins, it'll be a five-point difference between the two. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. It'll be crazy. <laughs> with that being said, Hamilton holds the record for 38 consecutive points finishes. So he's finished in the top 10 for 38 consecutive races. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's super reliable. I, I, I don't really think that Verstappen has a great shot at Hamilton. Yeah, I definitely think it's the battles with Bottas, um, and that's what it's going to come down to f- for the final. I think like in the final races, it will still be like a pretty close differential points differential between them so i think he's definitely yeah that's definitely who he's who he's going against is Bottas. Yeah. So, sort of going off that but do you think Bottas is underperforming that car a little bit no i mean he he got pole so yeah. pole position so I, I don't think he's really no I, I i wouldn't say so i think he had a bad rate both of them both of them had a bad race this weekend and then like obviously it wasn't really his fault that he retired in the yeah, race exactly. before this so i don't think he's underperforming that car i think hamilton his bar is just so high that we think he's underperforming you know but i I think he's doing pretty good yeah Yeah. agreed well moving on from mercedes to a ferrari driver we're looking at charles leclerc and who we think his biggest rival is so jared do you think charles leclerc's biggest rivalry should be with alex albin or with lando norris so right now lando is closer in points i think it's a two-point difference between leclerc and lando but I'm going Alex Albon mostly because I think the Red Bull car is better than McLaren's car. Um, so I, I could see Albon potentially, like even potentially winning a race this year where I couldn't see a McLaren on, on the top of that. I can see McLaren on a podium maybe. I can definitely see Albon on a podium uh, this year. So I think just because of the car, I, I would go with Albon. And I think he's starting to get get a hang of it this season as well. So, yeah, that's what I'm going with. But what do you think? Yeah, I initially agree with that, too, just because I think, like, if you're talking purely in terms of cars, I think Albin versus Leclerc is a better, a better battle. But I do think that there's a chance that Albin's, like, thoughts and rivalry are so focused within, like, his own team and his own system, like, trying to hold on to um, his Red Bull spot versus Gasly, which, again, we thought probably won't happen. But yeah. I think that that rivalry might be so internal that he might not focus as much on performing to a level um that leclerc might it which is just in its own right between teams so i think mm-hmm. um well leclerc albin's still the bigger rivalry i could see leclerc norris playing out more so on the track because they see each other more as direct rivals whereas albin might not actually see leclerc mm-hmm. as much as the person he's competing with yeah that's a good point that is a good point all right well how about this one we got danny rick daniel ricardo at renault is he comp- is his biggest rival carlos Sainz, the man he's going to replace or is it Esteban Ocon, his teammate? I think science, and I'm sort of taking like a two-year sort of <laughs> look at this one yeah. because he, you know, he's taking science's place. So I think it'll be a big show of science's talent if they're both in the same car in back-to-back years, seeing who performs better. And mm-hmm. I think science has extra motivation um, with the Ferrari move because if Ferrari looks like they're regressing a little bit and Ricardo is week after week beating him, yeah, like in a McLaren or something, he'll. He might be regretting that move. It might show that, you know, he's the less talented driver of the two, even though there are different points in their career. So I mm-hmm. think next year, especially, Science is going to be looking at Ricardo as his main opponent 
week in and week out to prove that yes, like I did make the right move going to Ferrari. Uh, it's a better place than McLaren, and it's a better car, and I'm more talented at this point. So I think the Science Ricardo rivalry, maybe not as much this year. I think you'll see the bubblings of it this year, just because one's taking the other spot. But I think especially going into next year, that's the rivalry I'm looking at. What about you? Yeah, I definitely agree with you that next year it'll be super fascinating to see how that plays out. But I also think that this year it's the main rivalry as well. I think that yeah. um, it, the the red the Renault drivers seem to like be on like a seesaw where like one does really good and then the other one like it doesn't finish in the points and then one finishes in points or not. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I don't really see that as like too big of a competition. Plus, since Danny Rick's leaving anyway, it's like, you know, they're not really competing against each other. But... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think that um, they they might be in equal cars basically next year as well. Like, yeah, like kind of what you're saying. So it'll be interesting to see those on the track battles next year. It'll be super interesting to see. But even this year, I think it's Danny Rick and Carlos Sainz is the big rivalry. So yeah, yeah. agreed. So moving from drivers, manufacturers, McLaren. Who do you think their biggest rivalry is? Ferrari or Racing Point? Oh, dang. I think it's Ferrari, actually. I think Racing Point... Okay, so this is actually barring any more penalties on Racing Point. I think Racing Point has a better car than both Ferrari and McLaren, actually. And that they will eventually... Their their trajectory, they will eventually pass both those teams. Especially considering the way Vettel's driving right now. I think that definitely Racing Point could pass both those teams. So I think McLaren's main rival this year is actually Ferrari. And they'll be battling it out for the fourth spot. That's what I think. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I also think, in, like, outside of just, like, pure numbers before they're finished, I think, like, looking at trajectories, like you mentioned, it's important that, like, Ferrari sort of was up here and is trending down, and McLaren was below and is now sort of trending up. Yeah, true. And I think looking at sort of those differences in trajectory, like, it'll be a big step for McLaren when they pass Ferrari because it shows that mm-hmm. not only are they, you know, improving in terms of results, but they're passing a team who for so long was dominant over. So I think yeah. just using um, Ferrari as sort of a measuring stick of your own success makes them the big old, bigger rival for McLaren. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yep, moving on to another constructor's rivalry. How about Renault? Is their biggest competitor McLaren, or is their biggest competitor Racing Point? I think I'm going to go with McLaren again. I know we've been talking about McLaren a lot, but I think they're two teams who were in a similar position a few years ago. Both mm-hmm. have some sort of history, but it's sort of fallen down a little bit and we're sort of working to get up to that like sort of broached into the group that was red bull ferrari mercedes but is sort of more dispersed now but while mclaren seems to have taken the leap sort of to be more competitive in the top renault hasn't so i think if they want to sort of make that leap again like i think mclaren is a good model for that so i think they want to be competitive with them because once they're competitive with them it'll show they've also made that leap as opposed to just sort of stagnating and maybe even sliding back a little bit over the past few years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's Renault McLaren. Um, and that, that's the funny thing about the midfield too, is Renault looked like the ascendant team in 2018. That's why Daniel mm-hmm. Ricardo joined them. They were the, you know, they were the best exactly. of the rest. So it's so interesting to watch. And I think Renault recognizes that racing point is just better than them. That's, that's why they're mm-hmm. on the, the front kind of the, front lines of like the protest against racing point is they know that like they, they, they don't want racing point taking points away from them. So they're, but they're really battling with McLaren is like really who they're battling with. Cause yeah, I don't think they see themselves as catching up to uh racing point. So. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All right. We have one last one then looking at 
biggest rivalries in Formula One. Nico Hulkenberg, Alfa Romeo or Haas? <laughs> Who's, who does he have more beef with? <laughs> I don't think he has any more beef with, but in terms of who who's going to finish closer to him in points... Uh-huh. I think Nico Hulkenberg might have more points than both those teams combined. Possibly. I think he will too. <laughs> um, it's definitely Alfa Romeo. Like Haas, Haas, I don't think is honestly going to score another point this year. No, Alfa Romeo no. has better drivers, that's for sure, with Kimi and Giovinazzi. But they also have a terrible car too. So I don't. Nico Hulkenberg literally might have more points from just this one race than they than those two teams have this entire season. What do you think? Yeah, I thought so too. I went with. I think they might beat both of them and i think it's funny too because he was someone who was rumored to be with both of those teams at mm-hmm. some point before the season and they're both like no and now he individually has more points than both of those teams so yeah i think probably i'll just say haas you know mix it up a little bit and also <laughs> yeah. because they already have a point well i guess so does alfa Romeo. but yeah i think yeah i don't know i think he's got a bigger rivalry with haas just because i think haas would feel like more attacked if like if they got beat by a singular driver who would only run one race. Like, they seem like they have a more fragile ego than Alfa Romeo. Yeah, they kind of do have a fragile, fragile ego. I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, moving on from there, we got one last segment for you all. And we, we referenced it earlier, but it's talking about Racing Point, the cheating, the alleged cheating. <laughs> say that now. And the sort of appeals process that's going on. So for the 2019 season, just for some background, brake ducts were unlisted parts and designs can be shared between teams. So during that time, uh, Racing Point took front brake ducts from Mercedes and implemented them on their car. For the 2020 season, brake ducts were listed, uh, or now became listed parts, which means they have to be designed and manufactured by the individual constructor. And Racing Point used the same front um, brake ducts that they had used um last season that they take it from mercedes but they also used rear brake ducts um that were the same as the mercedes design in 2019 but they hadn't used on their car and this led to a whole slew of teams criticizing them and renault filing complaints after every single race (laughs) and um it was recently ruled that racing point was in the wrong and that they had to sacrifice points and take a fine so jared what are your thoughts on this? Is Racing Point in the wrong on this one, or is it all just being overblown? Yeah, Racing Point is in the wrong. It's it's definitely in the wrong of the spirit of the rules. Like just saying, just saying, like, oh well, yeah, before January first, you know, we could we could use these parts and stuff. And I I get that they're trying to say, well, we yeah, we've already learned this stuff, but like, it's not in the spirit. Of, it's not in the spirit of the rules, especially the fact that Racing Point apparently didn't ask the FIA specifically if the rear brake duct things that they were doing were okay. I think the reason they didn't ask the FIA is because they knew it was a gray area and they didn't want the FIA to tell them, no, that's actually not true. So, well, yeah, but there was like also that. a lack of communication on the on the FIA. They weren't necessarily clear in communicating how this worked and like they did like know about that design in 2019. They just didn't put it in their car. So I think but, there was a little bit of a gray area that I think Racing Point sort of played within which i don't necessarily is like i don't it definitely wasn't like morally the best what they did but i don't know if it was explicitly rule breaking in a way that deserves such a punishment like they did know about the design in 2019 they just didn't put it into their car and racing point went to this too but i don't know how you like unlearn something like that like it's like you have this design for a great rear brake duct are you gonna just gonna be like well oh well well 
Like, I don't know. But the like, fact the fact that you know you're operating in a gray area and you don't bring it up to the FIA to check, I think means you know you're doing something wrong, potentially. You know? True, but I feel like if a rule is explicit enough, you had you shouldn't have to check with the FIA to know whether it's wrong or not. Like, And it sort of, yeah. like, I think leans into that, that, like, the FIA is like, well, if you just talked to us about it, we could have figured out a solution. And I'm like, what kind of rule is that, where you have to consult with the rule makers to, like... Uh, know whether you're doing something so like listen i don't think it's like the best thing ever but i think that they are warranted in thinking that it's a bit of an overreaction just because the rules weren't clear enough in their first year of implementation well the other teams think that it it's an underreaction though because because the other teams are worried that like okay let's say haas who gets a lot of parts from ferrari in in another year where a part becomes transfers from unlisted to listed they're just like well we're just gonna take the 15 point penalty we'll take the fine and we'll use those better parts you know you don't want people yeah. to think that this p- penalty is so lenient that they're just willing to cheat and take the penalty you know that's fair but since this point the FIA has clarified the rules on it yeah so i think that that possibility is a little bit less than people are making it out to be that's like true. i think it was i think i think this what this is is more of an issue of like bad Im- implementation of a rule Versus like explicit cheating by Racing Point, and yeah. I think that Racing Point, like since the investigation has begun, has been super open. Like they haven't been trying to hide anything, and I think that sort of leans into the idea that like they weren't trying to cheat, but like they knew there might have been some shady <laughs> stuff. So so they yeah. thought like like they're open to it. Like be, I think being open to it is important, and that but, like they're not trying to hide it because they, what they yeah. think they did was was okay within that gray area. But you could see how someone can implement it as not going to go okay within that gray area. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't. We wouldn't be talking about this if it didn't work. You know, if exactly. they're if their parts, if the parts like act just like didn't even really make the car that great, they nobody would care really. So, mm-hmm. at least the teams win it. I'm not even sure really that the fans really care that much. I think it's no. good that there's another competitive team in the midfield. You know, I think it's it's good for the sport. But yeah, at the expense of cheating, those yeah, it, it yeah, it's not great. It, it it is there is some blame on the FIA. A little bit for not being that clear but yeah but also to, for racing point to say like oh we just took pictures you know and like reverse engineered it mm-hmm. all these other teams were like no this would have been happening since like 2000 <laughs> if people were doing that like uh, yeah exactly yeah so i i think racing point has generally been open but also like a little some exaggerations you know they're yeah they're just playing in the gray area they really they're they really are but <laughs> yeah so listen, like like I said, I don't think it's great of Racing Point, but I also don't think they should be punished because I think it's a failure of the FIA more than it is a failure of Racing Point. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. All right. We'll see. Well, we'll, we'll see what the what happens with the appeal. It'll be interesting. Yes. So, but we'll finish on that note. Uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube for more of our videos, um, on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And having you subscribe helps us do more it helps us better tailor our content to what you want so also be commenting tweeting at us all of it but thank you for tuning in today and we'll see you soon